that Peter wrote. And um, I love doing a series of, of books of the Bible because they were designed to be read in, in all one sitting. The Gospels were, and especially the letters of Paul, were designed to be read in all, we'll just sit together and read the whole thing at once. That's how they designed and sometimes people come up to me and say, the Bible's so confusing. And I'm like, well, which parts? Like, well, this sentence right here. I said, well, did you read all the sentences around it? And they're like, well, no, because I just have trouble with this part right here. I'm like, well, that's probably why you have problems, because you can read the stuff around it. I mean, imagine. Imagine you got a letter or an email from your mom. And you told your friend, I got a letter from mom. And your friend says, oh, great, how's your mom doing? And you said, I don't know. I only read the first paragraph. But it's hot in Phoenix right now. I know that, right? And we treat the Bible the same way a lot of times. We read little bits and pieces of it. And so what I'd like to do today is I want to cover all of 1 Peter so far. I know it's redundant for a lot of you because you're all here every single Sunday, right? Yeah, mountains. Love it. All right, so here we go. <laughs> So we start out with 1 Peter chapter 1, and Peter says this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. It's a good intro. Uh, Peter gives uh, an intro to his letter. It says, address to the people. And he lists all these places that you've never heard of before, right? Unless, haven't we been to uh, Bithynia? Okay, it's, it's Turkey. It's modern-day Turkey. It's kind of the northwest quadrant of modern-day uh, Turkey today. And we can tell from the context of 1 Peter that these folks are experiencing a large amount of persecution. That was true when Peter wrote the letter around 60 AD. It continued through 112 AD when a guy named Pliny, Pliny the Younger, had great names back then, Pliny the Younger was governor of the region. And he was informing Emperor Trajan how he was persecuting the Christians. And he said, I would ask them three times to curse Christ. And if they don't do it, I have them executed. Is this okay with you, Emperor? And the Emperor wrote back saying, yeah, this is fine. So we know that Christians in this region experienced various levels of persecution for a long period of time. This is important to remember for a text for today. After this introduction, Peter jumps into cheerleading mode. How many of you play organized sports? How many of you had that one coach that was like Mr. or Mrs. Pep Talk? Right? You had that coach. They live for the pep talk. I had, uh, my dad was my soccer coach. He'd be like, you're going to walk on this field like men. And you're going to play like men. You're going to play with courage and honor. And when you walk off this field, I don't care what the score is, but you walk off with your head held high because you're men. We were eight years old. <laughs> yeah, we were men. <laughs> So Peter is speaking to a people who are going through persecution, and he's going to encourage them. So he writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the rev salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's like, yeah! And that's for you. Peter says to his audience, and he says to you, Jesus Christ died and rose for you. You have the greatest gift from the greatest Savior. Be joyful and be hopeful. And then he continues. Chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he called you who is holy, so be holy in all you do. Since Jesus has given you such an incredible gift that you can be joyful, that you can be hopeful, so also be holy. So we're going to talk more about what that looks like in our text for today. And then he gives him this more encouragement. It's in chapter 2. He says this. But you, you are a chosen people. You are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Is that one of our greatest needs? To belong. Everybody wants to belong to a family, a community, a group of friends. That's a deep down desire that each and every one of us has. And Peter says, you know, because of Jesus, you belong. You're in a family, a chosen people, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You belong in such magnificent and incredible ways that you've never imagined before. You don't belong to just any community. You belong to God's community. His created, His redeemed, and His loved. Are you feeling encouraged? Are you feeling empowered? Are you feeling loved? Because this is Peter's point. He says first, be hopeful, be joyful. He says, be holy. And now he says, be chosen. And then he continues in chapter 3. He says, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand, is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers, and submission to him. So Peter says, now be baptized and be saved. It's God's special gift to you, that physical reminder of his promises, his commitments, his sacrifice, and his choosing, and his forgiving, and saving for you. You who are blessed. You who are loved. And you are his. So it's in that context that Peter writes these words in chapter 4. 
therefore, right? It's the big therefore. He gets all this and builds up to therefore. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they're surprised that you don't join in with them. And they're reckless and wild living. And so they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are, who are now dead. They were alive, they're dead now, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regards to the spirit. Since Jesus has given you reason to be hopeful, to be joyful, to be chosen, to be baptized, to be saved, Peter now says, therefore, be weird. That's what he said. Be weird. All that stuff's going on around you, yeah, be weird. Just be different. Be the odd duck. I believe this text is more relevant today than it was for your grandparents. Because your grandparents lived in a world where not everybody went to church, but they kind of agreed with most of it. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it was good and helpful. And that's not the world you live in today, is it? It's not. So, I have some hard truths for you today. I'm going to speak them on the basis of what we've already heard in 1 Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3. So here's a hard truth. If the people around you can't tell that you're a little different because you're following Jesus. You're probably missing something in your walk with Jesus. That holds true for each and every one of you. And thus you live in a monastery. If you live in a monastery, that is not true, right? And if you live in a monastery, you can act like just like everyone else around you and you're good, right? Everyone else, that's true for you. Let me put it more concretely. If the person in your business who's known to have the most integrity is not you, then you're probably missing something in your walk with Jesus. If the person in your neighborhood who speaks the kindest and puts the best construction on everything of the other neighbors isn't you, then you're probably missing something in your walk with Jesus. If the person uh, in your group of friends who's known to be the most courageous and compassionate is not you, then you're probably missing something in your walk with Jesus. Unless, of course, you have a group of friends and one of those friends is following Jesus and, and you're kind of modeling that person as that person models Jesus. And that's cool. It's not hard things to say, right? It's a high calling. 
And I say this, and I need to be clear. Weird and different doesn't mean better. Because remember 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3. God has chosen you. God has redeemed you. God has saved you. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you've done. Not because you're better than other people. But because Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. So different doesn't mean better. But it does mean different. It means weird. Because if there's no one else in your group of friends who knows Jesus, then the closest your friends will ever come to knowing Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and how Jesus loves and how Jesus saves is through you. <clears throat> that you are, in essence, Jesus' representative to them. Because that's the closest they'll ever get. And I know all of you work in businesses, and you have friends, and you live in communities where people don't know what Jesus' love is like. And all of you, sadly, live in work in businesses and live in communities and have groups of friends who got bad examples from Christians. And they'll never walk into this church because of what some Christian did to them some years ago. It's a shame. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because you have a higher authority than everyone else. Folks, your friends around you, your co-workers, they're, they're authorities themselves. But you've been redeemed. You've been bought. In the very blood of Jesus Christ. You have a higher authority, which means you have a higher purpose and a higher calling. My friends, this isn't legalism. It's not self-righteousness either. If you only read this one paragraph from 1 Peter chapter 4, you might get that impression. But you, you know the entire letter so far, right? And you know that Jesus Christ died and rose for you and by His grace and through His mercy that you can be joyful and be hopeful and be chosen and be baptized and be saved. And that kind of gift changes a person kind of love changes a person. I'm give you an analogy. It's a weak analogy. It's not a very good analogy. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Because it's true for me. So, when I married my wife back in 1995, I was a jerk. Some of you are like, was? Come on. <laughs> I was a jerk. I loved her. She was my bride. And I married her because of how she made me feel. That's why I married her. I married her because of what she did for me. So I married her because I loved her, but I married her because I loved her because of me. I loved her because she loved me. That's why I married her. And the first years in our marriage, I was a pretty selfish guy. I was kind, I was nice, I didn't say anything hurtful or harmful, I didn't do stuff like that. But it was just kind of about me. And the marriage was to make me happy. That's what it was about. And then she kept loving me. 
and loving me and loving me. And I realized I was one blessed few who did not deserve her. And slowly over the years, my actions became less and less self-centered. I have a long ways to go because if you ask my kids, they'll say, and you ask them, who's the most, who's more loving, mom or dad? They'll be like, Psh, mom, right? <laughs> so I got ways to go. But God's love for you, to state the obvious, is much bigger than that. It's much greater than that. It's much more unconditional than that type of love. That type of love changes a person. And when you know Jesus' love for you and your head and your heart and it starts to sink down deep inside, it changes you. It has to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for the privilege of being weird. We ask, Lord, that we might be freaks. We ask, Lord, for the honor that when, when we walk into a room at home or at work or at school, that people say there's something different about you. What is it? And we could say, well, Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. So, Lord, we pray for this privilege that we might be your people, your weird ones, wherever you've called us to be, at home, at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, at play, hiking around the mountain. Because of what you've done for us, because we know your love and your forgiveness and your compassion and your truth and your word so deeply, Lord, that we are day by day changing be more like you. And for those of here, folks who are here who are still exploring, still investigating who you are, Jesus, we pray that they might know your incredible grace your life. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stand in praise for God. I want to spend some time in prayer. I'll be right over there.